Amen. Faultless we will gaze. That day is coming, and actually that relates to our text that we're going to consider here this morning. Turn to first, uh, not first Peter, <laughs> turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Uh, we are going to walk through that passage here this morning as we are remembering our Lord in this, this special way. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, verses 19 through 23. I think I'll just read the passage through and then we'll begin to focus on it. Colossians 1, right where Matthew stopped reading, I'm going to pick up. And maybe I'll back up there to verse 18 and we'll pick up where Matthew stopped. And he, referring to the Lord Jesus, is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in the heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister for you. I'll stop there. We're commemorating this morning some of the greatest, most significant matters there possibly can be. They truly are. And when I read this text last Thursday, I felt that I did not have the strength to do this passage justice. I mean, we could do a message on every phrase in this passage. I mean, these, these subjects here are just, they're just profound. They're large. They're, they're massively important. And so let's, let's just uh, take a crack at it some. And we want to kind of walk through all four or five of those verses. But it's obvious as we start this passage that humankind, our relationship with God is broken. The passage is about reconciliation, right? And, and what does it mean when two people need to be reconciled? What does that mean? It means that their relationship is broken. Okay, that's what it means. The fact that there has to be reconciliation through the blood of the cross, there has to be reconciliation through Christ. It means that our relationship as mankind with God is broken. And that is the most important relationship, isn't it? 
Your relationships with your spouses are important. Your relationships with your children are important. But they're not as important as this relationship. There's no relationship that's more significant than our relationship with God Himself. Okay, and that's what the gospel in Christ is about, is to somehow restore mankind, humankind's relationship with our Creator. That's the fundamental relationship. And it's broken for humanity. And all of our other ills are flowing out of the fact that that relationship has been broken. And and, and the Lord driving Adam and Eve out of the garden is a graphic picture that that relationship is broken, isn't it? He drove them out of the garden, okay? That relationship is severed, it is broken. That is our greatest need, that is humanity's greatest need. You fix that relationship and everything else in your life will change. You fix that fundamental relationship between you and God And you see if it doesn't begin to transform all those other relationships. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. It's the most fundamental relationship. And when we counsel people, (laughs) we always begin there. We always begin there. So that's what this passage is about how it pleased the Father to reconcile this relationship between Himself and us as humanity. That's what this paragraph's about. Having made peace through the blood of His cross. That means peace between God and us. That peace has to be restored first between God and us. And God initiated to do that. And that that peace between God and us must be restored indicates it's the opposite of hostility. The hostility exists between God and humankind. Not because He's not merciful, not because He doesn't have a general love for everybody, but because He's just and He's holy, okay? That's why there's a hostility between God's justice, which he cannot compromise. He would not be God if he compromised his justice. So he's going to work out a way to save us that completely fulfills his justice and pours out mercy on us at the same time. That's what he's going to do. And when he does that, we will be reconciled to him. Okay? Now, two amazing matters which are pleasing to the Father. They're in verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 reads what? Tells us that it pleased the Father that in Him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness is explained in chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read it for you. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him, Christ, dwells 
all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What is he saying? It pleased the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? Father is the planner, the initiator of mankind's redemption. And and it pleased the Father that all the fullness of deity dwells in the Son bodily. What is that talking about? It's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about the fact that God is well pleased that the divine nature of the Son would dwell in a human nature bodily. That's the incarnation. And this method, this method of salvation pleases the Father. Think about that. This arrangement that the divine nature in the Son should come down to this world full of enemies, (laughs) a world that is hostile toward God, the world is hostile toward the Father, yet it pleased the Father that in that divine nature would come down to earth and unite itself bodily to us to take on a human nature. And we have this person, Jesus Christ, who is human 100%, and he's divine. Now, I don't... You should be interested in this, okay? This is what pleased the Father. This is the gospel. And the gospel that God created pleases the Father. And this method of saving us pleases the Father. And that method is for the divine nature to take up residence with a human nature. And we know that person to be Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus is that person. What else pleased the Father? Something else pleased the Father. The second amazing matter that pleases the Father is that it pleased the Father by Him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him. This is the second thing that pleased the Father. This is the means to reconcile all things to himself, including you and me. That by him to reconcile all things to himself, listen to this, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You see, God is unreconciled to the entire creation, whether it be things on earth or things in heaven. The earth and the heavens have been cursed by God. Correct? You read Genesis chapter 3. The heavens are not pure in His sight. The, the, the cosmos is out of joint because of our sin introduced into this perfect creation of heavens and earth. It has become cursed. And the cosmos itself, things in heaven or things in 
on the earth are not right with God. And God is going to restore it all. And the word that's used here is the word reconcile. Okay? He's going to restore a right relationship with humanity. And he's going to restore, if we might say, a right relationship with the cosmos. All of it is broken. It's broken because of our disobedience, because of our rebelling against God's authority. We call that sin. And it's broken. But God is going to fix it. He's going to reconcile humankind to himself. That's, that's just a wonder. That these things please the Father, <laughs> that's pretty cool, right? Our salvation, that pleases the Father. Okay? Jesus on the cross pleases the Father. Isaiah 53 says that. It pleased Him. It pleased the Lord, what? To crush Him. Now, brothers and sisters, or unbelievers here, children, since it pleases the Father to reconcile the world to Himself this way, Why would we seek reconciliation with him any other way? Think about that. If this method of reconciliation pleases the Father, why would we try to seek reconciliation any other way? But that's what we all do. Lord, here's my good works. Please forgive me. Lord, I promise, I promise, (laughs) if if you forgive me, I won't do it again. (laughs) Or, Lord, I'll get baptized. I'll I'll take the sacraments. I'll do all this to, to be reconciled to you. It's a waste of time. Those methods don't please the Father. The method of reconciliation that pleases the Father is through this person, Jesus Christ, God-man crucified and His blood shed and our faith in Him alone. So this is the method that pleases the Father. Don't be a fool and try some other method. Yeah, the relationship's broken. Okay? That's right. At The Lord drove Adam and Eve out of that garden. But he's come back after them. So all I can say is this is the the fact that it pleases God to reconcile us this way. Throw overboard every other method. Every other method's a cheat. This is the method that God has chosen to restore His relationship with humanity. This is the only way. And it's a sure way, and it pleases the Father. So anytime your conscience is guilty, and you feel the power of your sin, and the power of your disobedience, and all of that, and you want to maintain your relationship with God, this is the way to do it not any of those other methods. We live by faith this way. Okay? By the blood of the cross. 
That's why we're commemorating it here. This is the only way to have unbroken relationship restored with God. And it's a sure way. Okay, I've said that like three times, trying to say it differently, (laughs) trying to get it through. So if you're an assurance doubter here this morning, think about this. This is what pleases the Father. This method pleases the Father. That gives me, as an assurance doubter, that gives me assurance to go to him this way. This is what pleases the Father. Okay, I've said that five times now. (laughs) All right, those two amazing things, the incarnation, divine human Savior. Now, we ourselves... We ourselves were alienated from God and hostile in our minds. Paul, at verse 21, shifts from God being out of relationship with all the cosmos and all the things in heaven and in earth. And in verse 21, Paul makes it very personal, okay, that we are part of that creation that's unreconciled. Verse 21, and you, he's writing to believers, and you who once were separated or alienated, and listen to this, and hostile in your mind by wicked works. We ourselves, personally, it goes down to every individual, were born this way. We're born separated from God. We're in Adam, not in Christ. And we're born in this world, separated from God. We're born in this world as sinful men and women. Those that all we like sheep have followed the right path. <laughs> no. All we like sheep have what? Gone, gone the wrong way. Okay? And we did that on our own. <laughs> We've all gone the wrong way. And even worse than that, Paul says, we were hostile in our minds. We were hostile toward God. The relationship's broken, right? You got that broken relationship. The two parties have hostility toward each other. Our hostility is completely unjust. God's hostility is always righteous, (laughs) but not ours. And so uh, the gospel humbles us. Yeah, Paul tells those Colossians, you are separated and hostile in your mind. And how is that hostility shown? By wicked works. Romans 8, 7 reads, because the natural mind is hostile against God. Why? For it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be, Romans 8, 7. The hostility of our human hearts is that we won't submit to God-constituted authority. And boys and girls, do you realize that? When you won't submit to your parents' authority, you are demonstrating hostility against God. That's what you're demonstrating. Because your parents' authority is the expression of God's authority over you. And so when you buck 
your parents' authority, that's giving evidence of exactly what Paul says. We know the mind is hostile because it will not subject itself to the law of God. Okay? And as men and women, if we're going to restore this relationship with God, we need to figure this stuff out. (laughs) And our disobedience to God-constituted authority is just the absolute evidence of mankind's hostility against God. You know, people say, oh, I'm not, not, I don't hate God. Oh, you don't? Here. Well, do this. And just start reading off the commandments. You don't hate God? Just start reading the law. Just read the law. Well, I'm not going to do those things. I told you you were hostile toward God. <laughs> I mean, you've been, you've been disobeying him since, you know, two years old. <laughs> That's how the Bible defines hostility. It's right there in Romans 8, 7. For the natural mind will not subject itself to the law of God. That's the hostility. God says, walk on this side of the street. No, I'm going to walk over here. And we're all like that until the Lord saves us. So Paul reminds us of this. So there's really no neutrality for humanity. There's no neutrality for humanity. And those gospels that, that say that kind of stuff, those gospels that, that make you think, you know, there's all this big neutral, neutral group of people. They're just kind of suffering innocent victims. No. There's no neutrality. That's a figment of people's imagination. Hostile in your mind by wicked works, either that or we're reconciled to God. And the evidence that we're reconciled to God is we begin to respect his authority. We don't follow it perfectly, but, but, but we, our, our attitude toward the authority of God is completely transformed when we're converted. And you can tell when someone's converted. They begin to respect God's authority, whether it's expressed in the workplace, whether it's expressed with our government, whether it's expressed in the home. When that relationship with God is restored, we begin to want to respect his authority. And, you know, and if you don't like God's authority, all I can say is because you don't know him. You don't know him. You see, if you don't like his law, if you don't like the law of God, the problem is you don't like the lawgiver. (laughs) If you loved the lawgiver, you'd love the law. And if you reject obedience, you don't like the rules from God, then it's because you don't know him. You don't know the lawgiver is why you don't like his law. If you really knew him, his love, his goodness, his grace, all that he is, you would become reconciled to the law. You you would like the law if you really knew in that personal way the lawgiver that sent his son to redeem you from your law-breaking. If you knew him, your attitude toward the law would reverse. 
What makes the law wonderful is whose law it is. Okay? Read Psalm 119. The whole psalm is full of it. How did that guy ever get there? Well, God changed his heart. That's how he got there. Oh, I love your law. Why? Because God loves him. And that's just not some doctrine to agree with. That's something to experience. When you experience the love of God for a rebel like yourself, everything changes. And you, and you know the God that loved you and was willing to give his son to die for you. That will change the hostility against the law. That's a bit of a sidetrack, but... <laughs> okay, so where are we? Um, yeah, we're alienated, and, and there's no, uh, no neutral ground. Now let's go on. Yet, yet, now we have been reconciled to the Father, and you, who once were enemies in your mind, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Okay? So this restoration of our relationship with the Father to be a friendship, a loving friendship, how, the, the only way for that to be restored, somebody has to die. Is that true? That's absolutely true. So the Father wants a friendship Restore that wonderful relationship between him and us. And how does he do it? He has reconciled us, what? In the body of Christ's flesh, through death. He has made peace through the blood of the cross. So in order for you and I to have friendship restored with the Father... Somebody has to die. Do, do you understand the gospel? It's, take your breath away. The Father wants to reconcile the world. Here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternity past. They're going to be rebels. Should we just destroy them all? Father says, no, we're going to save some of them. In spite of them spitting in our face, we're still going to save them. Well, how are we going to do it? We're going to reconcile ourselves to them. Well, how are we going to do that? Oh, we can't compromise our justice. How are we going to do that? The Son. You're going to take on human nature. Okay? And you're going to become responsible for them. And you're going to come into this world and you're going to die. And you're going to be the death. So we don't have to destroy all of them. Because we want to have mercy on them. That's exactly what took place. That's right. 
He has reconciled in the body of his flesh. Remember that divine nature? All the fullness of deity, what? Dwells in Christ bodily. Okay, so here it is. Divine human nature on the cross. He has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. He has made peace through the blood of the cross. That's how the peace has been made. So we can enjoy this relationship with the Father. Restored relationship. Reconciliation affects both parties in the relationship. We were enemies in our minds. We dislike the true God. Okay? That's another thing. People say, oh, I don't dislike God. Here, read the Old Testament. Tell me if you like the God on the pages of the Old Testament. And I, 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 I'll challenge you, every unbeliever will manifest his dislike for the true God. Just read the Old Testament. Churches! <laughs> Don't like God. It's evident because they dislike the God on the pages of the Old Testament. They don't like that God. That's hostility. But they're crazy for not liking Him. (laughs) Because of what I just illustrated to you, He has done to save us. Why am I saying this? Because reconciliation affects both parties. We were enemies in our minds. We disliked the true God. That's, that's what triggered this. We were hostile in mind. We disliked the true God. That, you know, that's putting it mildly. It says, not that we dislike, it says we were hostile, the text says. Romans 8, 7 says that. We were hostile toward him. And he was what? Judiciously, judicially angry toward us. Hostilities are replaced with friendship. Both sides are affected. Reconciliation affects the way God, I say it reverently, reconciliation affects the way God feels toward you. And reconciliation affects the way I feel toward God. Just as if you were unreconciled with your spouse (laughs) and you got reconciled, Both of you have a change in feeling and attitude toward one another. And it's such a sweet thing when reconciliation is achieved, isn't it? We as sinners have to go through that process often, right? (laughs) In our human relationships. But you know what? With God, you only have to go through it once. Once reconciled, always reconciled. Isn't that wonderful? These are past tense. We won't take the time, but these verbs are past tense. He has reconciled you. Done. Justified, adopted, reconciled. Done. Never to be repeated. Yeah, you still have to maintain your relationship with God, but you're never going to be unreconciled like this again. That's security, isn't it? Yeah, so both parties are affected. So how could there be a reconciliation 
through flesh and the death, because it pleased the Father that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's how it can be. You see, the incarnation is the foundation of our salvation. Throw away the incarnation, you throw away the gospel. Throw away the humanity and the, and the, and the, the, the deity of Christ in that one person, you throw away the gospel. This whole reconciliation, you see, is based on it pleased the Father that the divine Son and human nature would be joined together. This reconciliation is based not simply on the cross. It's based on the incarnation. Okay. So it's clear that God is the initiator of all reconciliation, isn't it? Whose plan was this? It's God's plan. Whose idea? God's idea. It's He's the initiator of all reconciliation, even down to the personal level. Whose plan was it that I, at 22 years old, would a pagan that I was, would hear the gospel, that, that someone would come and explain the gospel and show me the word of God. That was not my plan. I wasn't out, hey, could someone out there come and t- tell me how to read the Bible? Could someone out there come and tell me how to be reconciled to God? That was not me. <laughs> and likely that was not most of you either. God initiated it, didn't he? God did things. God set things up that you would have the privilege of hearing the gospel. Not everyone has that privilege. You realize that? Even to hear the gospel, boys and girls, you are privileged to hear the gospel. You know how many boys and girls there are in the world that have never heard the gospel? You can argue with God about that, but I'm not going to. But all that tells me is to even hear the gospel is a privilege initiated by God in his initiating this reconciliation between him and us. He's the initiator. He's not done yet. The purpose for us is grand. We, we, we sing one of those great songs, Speak, Lord, you know, and it talks about the plans that you have for us. Why did he reconcile us? Why did he restore that, restore that relationship? It's right here in the text. He says it. Been reconciled, why? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. We sang it in that song. Ultimately, that was a song of repentance and forgiveness. And that song said, ultimately, we will, ga- we will faultlessly gaze on your glory. Remember the song? We just sang that. There it is right there in Colossians 1. I don't know what verse number there. To present you what? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Not in your neighbor's sight. (laughs) Not in your parent's sight. To present you 
holy, blameless, and above reproach, what? In His sight. In God's sight. We we have no idea how holy God is, but yet this reconciliation has taken place to, to not only restore the relationship, but to restore us back to the image of God. Got it? We're being restored back to the faultless, holy, perfect image of God. That's exactly what the gospel is all about, is to reconcile us to this wonderful God and then restore us to his image. And when we're restored to his image, Adam and Eve were faultless in his sight. There was nothing wrong. They were perfect. Okay? And we can argue about the theological questions, but they were perfect, right? They had no sin. We'll be in better footing than they are, but we're not going to get in all that. All I'm saying is, this is the purpose of that reconciliation. Wow. Compare that to Adam and Eve being driven out of the garden. Well, you know what? Adam and Eve's descendants are going to get to go back into the garden. <laughs> Absolutely. The new heavens and a new earth, and that the whole thing is like a temple itself. And God is going to dwell in that new heavens and a new earth, and that's going to be the ultimate temple of God's presence. And by being reconciled through the death of the blood of the cross, Adam's descendants are going to get to go back in and never be driven out again. That's right. I I need to believe this when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) I mean, this is so good. And I'm preaching to myself. Get, Get a grip. You know, I tell myself, get a grip. These these unseen realities are so good. (laughs) And and may God give us that that vision of the things unseen. And it's right here in the Word of God. You don't need to go and make... You don't need to spruce up this Word of God. Just explain the thoughts that are in here. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going through one paragraph of Paul about what these things really mean. And being reconciled to the Father, what a great purpose. And it is complete. He has reconciled, past tense, I've already said that, of our relationship being restored. And and then verse 23, this supper this morning is a means of doing what is described in verse 23. Yes, there's an if. And there it is in verse 23. He's he's going to present us in that faultless state. That's that's the eschatological final state. He, He said that in verse 22, right? Faultless in his presence. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. Continuance in the faith is necessary 
to experience that final glory. We must continue in the faith. Paul is saying that. And there were heretics at that church in Colossae that were already denying the faith. And the faith here likely has that objective content. The orthodox faith probably is the meaning of that phrase here. And when you read Colossians chapter 2, you see there's a bunch of denials of the essentials of Christianity going on in Colossians chapter 2. So he's probably there talking not about our subjective trust, that's important, but here he's probably talking about not falling, not apostatizing doctrinally, which was what the threat was at Colossae. Okay? So if indeed you continue in a faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope, now that's experience. Now, have you, have you felt some hope as I've been preaching to you? Right? This is the means of grace, the Word of God and the, and the ordinance. And what is that? If you're a believer here, it stirs up your hope. You feel that hope. Wow, I'm going to make it. God has reconciled Himself to me, and that gives you hope. Okay? So the right doctrine leads to the living, correct hope. And not moved away. Keep your hope in the Lord Jesus and don't move away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Amen. So, the hope of the gospel, I'll read one more verse. It's later in chapter 1. It's 26 and 27. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, God has initiated to restore that relationship, that reconciliation, that warm, loving, committed friendship. Friendship between him and us. And, and, and I, my own preaching has been defective some in this area. I haven't preached reconciliation enough. And, 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 and I'll throw that out to you. I think, I think of all the T-I-O-N words, this one gets the least press. And I think that's a mistake. So this is the relational word. All of those other words, propitiation, election, redemption, justification, they're all wonderful words, and they're all part of our redemption. But we can't leave this one out. This is the relational word in that word group. It really is. That God is not a, a block. He's a person. He's personal. And the fact that God is personal means he's relational. And he's restoring his relationship with us. You know, I just felt good. I, I felt stronger assurance as I thought about this. That there is this reconciliation. God is at peace. The hostilities are replaced with peace. And he's done that by the incarnation, fullness of deity, bodily. Somebody has to die to make the reconciliation work impossible. So... We're commemorating that here this morning at this Lord's table.